Welcome everybody to the Sleepy Perform Repeat podcast. This is your host, David Clancy, and along with my co-host, Connor Gavin, we are here in Soco Performance, Dublin, Ireland, to bring you a podcast focusing on what it means to be performing at the highest level, what in essence is high-performance culture. We're going to share our experience and our backgrounds into what we've acquired over the years. Connor Gavin has extensive experience of working in the AFL with the West Coast Eagles, but also having worked in a high-performance environment with the Irish rugby team. Myself, David Clancy, I'm going to bring my experience and know-how from having worked in London with Isaac Kinetic Medical Group on Hardy Street, but also having experienced high-performance culture working with the Brooklyn Nets and the San Antonio Spurs of the NBA. What we're striving to achieve here is to find out what exactly makes high-level athletes tick and what makes them to perform at the highest level and how they really can get back to play at the highest level of return to play and return to performance after injury. How do all these elements play a role in performance? That's what we're really trying to find out here. So I hope you all enjoy listening to this and can learn. I really hope it sparks an interest because what we're really trying to do here in Ireland is evolve and grow and tap into what really makes high performance culture. Now let's get to it. Hi guys, we've got an absolute cracker of a first interview to bring to you today to kick off our Sleep Eat Perform Repeat podcast. Myself and David sat down with James Ellington, a former Team GB sprinter who was involved in a very serious motorbike incident back in 2017. So James was kind enough to come on and talk to myself and David about the support structures that he had in place following his crash. We also touched on his relationship with Team GB at the moment in terms of both funding and also his goals for getting back racing at a competitive level. We went through his mindset in dealing with setbacks that's both in terms of the aftermath of the motorbike incident as well as any sporting performance setbacks that he's had throughout his career as he's been racing at the highest level. We also have a good bit of a chat about when he's planning on getting back on the track and racing competitively and hoping to set a few new PBs for himself, which is great to hear after all he's been through. So yeah, there's lots and lots and lots of stuff to take away from this. Some really good uh, snippets of information into the mindset of somebody racing at the highest level, but also the mindset of somebody coming back from a very serious injury. So lots of motivational things to take away from it, sports performance things to take away from it. And myself and David hope that you all enjoy listening to it as much as we did recording it. All right, so uh, welcome everybody to the Sleepy Perform Repeat podcast. This is Connor Gavin here, and I'm with my co-host David Clancy. So today uh, we are interviewing James Ellington as our first guest. So I'll hand over to David there. James, um, good talking to you. So this is James Ellington. He's a hundred meter and two hundred meter GB sprinter. You know, top of the game, sub ten sprinter, real high performance athlete that suffered a really horrific accident in 2017 and he's been on the road to recovery trying to get back to the highest level of performance since and he's had a lot of support networks he's had to show a lot of consistency determination resiliency i've learned a lot even working with him with my time in london and uh and what a perfect guy for us to start this podcast with Cool. All right. So, yeah, James, thanks a million for uh, joining us today. So just for the people who are going to be tuning in who aren't that familiar with your background, um, do you want to give us a kind of a a run through of your kind of career to date and how you've got to where you are, basically? So my career started when I was a teenager. Um, Well, that's when I really got into athletics. 
and it wasn't until 2011 um, when I made my first senior debut and I was at the World Championships in South Korea um, competing for the 200 metres um, and ever since the 2011 season I was on pretty much every team um, I went into London 2012 um, I didn't have a great Olympics but at the time I was only training three days a week and I, I didn't realise um, that wasn't even full-time professional training hmm. uh, after the London Olympics I moved up to Loughborough um, competed at the World Championships in 2013 in Moscow missed out on the final of 200 metres by two places um, 2014 we had a European Championships in Zurich and I came back with a relay gold medal um, 2015 we had a World Championships in Beijing 2016 I changed events to the 100 metres and um, yeah I ran 10 seconds um, ran really well went to the Olympics in Rio didn't didn't do too well, stumbled out of the blocks in the uh, heat of the race. Didn't manage to qualify through, qualify through to the finals. But I was kind of um, slightly looking forward to 2017 because I saw the potential that I had in 100 metres just from that 2016 season. And then I was on a training camp in 2017 um, in Tenerife in January. And uh, sadly, I was involved in a road traffic accident, breaking both my legs and my pelvis and numerous other parts of my body um, and yeah I've been on the road to road to recovery ever since and it's now 2019 and I'm hoping to uh, make a comeback and step on the track this year that's quite a, that's quite a story James you know like that that in itself is, is why myself and Connor wanted to set up a podcast like this so that people can listen to your story and just go now there's a guy who did things that we're at the highest level, you know, international doesn't get bigger than Olympics and championships. You were competing against the best in the world and competing and setting amazing times. So you've, you've had a lot, a lot to, to go through over the last year and a half. And, you know, we're seeing you on Instagram every day and the strides you're making and you're running and, and you're looking so much better and stronger, more powerful every day. I suppose a question I'd be interested in is what are your support networks like now and kind of how, how have they been through this whole period? You know, you were GB athlete and that was who you are and you were synonymous with that. And now, you know, we've spoken about it, right? But who have you had in your corner? You know, there's guys like Mike Burt as an example, but who's been there through the whole period and is helping you along with yourself now? Well, I mean, outside of training, obviously friends, close friends and family. Um, but support network-wise, to be honest, I mean, as a training kind of, me back in on my feet and actually being able to get stuck in some training. It's pretty, pretty much really only been Mike Bird down at one performance. Um, British athletics have kind of <laughs> just left me. I'm, I'm no longer a funded athlete. Um, I'm no longer part of that network, um, which is a shame. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've kind of been left on my devices. I mean, initially I was, when I couldn't really do anything, I was in isokinetic, which, which you was kind of overseeing my um, physiotherapy and rehab. Yeah. Um, and then I moved on to one performance when I was more able. So that's about it, really, to be honest. And like my question is to follow up there, and then Connor take over. You know, population here. We're going to have a lot of different people listening to this from around from around the world. And wow, GB hundred meter. He's been in been in Beijing. He's been in Rio. He's been in London. And then what happens? You're involved in a crash. You're on a hundred meter, or two hundred meter, you're top of the game, and falls by the wayside and you're kind of left your own device trying to figure out the right way to get back like is that normal or is that is that commonplace at, in, in track and field 
I mean, I can only really speak for myself, my experiences, but I'm aware, um, kind of been in the system for how many years I've been in the system for, that you kind of realise that actually, you know, you're just, you're on a commodity, you're, you're, you're a commodity, you're not, um, it's almost like a spark with we the gladiators that mm-hmm. kind of prance around the kind of everybody, we, made a, we do the country proud of we kind of boost up British athletics and put them in a good place and they get celebrated for our achievements and um, when you're no longer useful or they think you're no longer useful you kind of just get yeah, pushed, to the, pushed to the side so um, there's no kind of ongoing uh, support um, once you kind of cut funding um, it's pretty cold eye to be honest and when you are in a kind of organisation like that for how many years you would like to think that actually it's more than just kind of business and these people that work for British athletes actually genuinely care, but no, they don't. Okay. And have you found that um, anyone from British Athletics has actually reached out to you throughout your process, or in terms of how how do you go about kind of getting back, kind of get back, get your funding back, these kind of things? To be honest, I'm not really I'm not even thinking about funding anymore. Um, that's something that you kind of you get tired, you get roped into when you're in the system, and then there's how many, so many different kinds of. Um, ups and downs and political decisions that, that kind of cut and keep people on funding. But now I'm not even, which is kind of like a bit of a weight off my shoulder. I'm not focusing on any funding, I'm just focusing on coming back. And to the other answer to your question was no. I mean, they've ticked the boxes where they've had to tick the boxes, but um, nobody's reached out. Nobody. All right. That's, yeah, no, that's really interesting. It sounds like a massive kind of mindset shift on your part in terms of your focus switching away from funding so like how have you found like since 2017 how have you found your ability to remain consistent with your training now that say your, your mindset in terms of what you're chasing might have changed to a to a degree um i think well my mindset now is just fully focused on just getting back onto the track where before um obviously i was in a good place just before the accident and i was in shape and the rest of it um it's hard not to get roped into the whole kind of politics of professional sport and you kind of you think about your funding you're thinking about kit contracts you're thinking about sponsorship deals you're thinking about all those sorts of things which actually don't play a positive role towards you running fast and if you do actually solely focus on running fast they're just a byproduct of you running fast so mm. it's almost kind of strip back back to bare basics and my mind is at where I'm at where I was at when I was just starting the sport and freshening because when I started the sport fresh I was thinking about running fast I wasn't thinking about getting any money or kit deals or anything like that which I think is um, a purer way to go about your sport because I think you can achieve a lot more when you actually solely focus on just running fast and rather than everything that comes with it yeah yeah for sure and and how fast are you running these days what are we how far away? How far away are we seeing Ellington back on track? You know, that's what I'm interested in hearing. Anyway, for one. Well, for sure, I'll be back on track this year. That's 100% competing. Um, I'm just deciding where I want to open up. So, uh, I'm not one of these guys that kind of. It sounds crazy. People should probably think I'm off my head because a lot of top level sprinters, even if they're in great shape and they they've not been injured, they like to kind of warm up into races um, before they get to the big races. Uh, I'm, uh, I don't want to do that I'm just going to get ready in training when I feel like I'm ready I'm going to open up somewhere big and just make a statement I'm not into go 
I don't know. I don't know what sort of shape I'm in. I mean, uh, in the next couple of months in training, I haven't, as of yet, I haven't really pushed it too much, and I'm a lot stronger than than I was before the accident. Now, um, strength and conditioning wise, mm-hmm. um, and I know I can put a lot more force through the track. So. Yeah, we'll see. Do you think that increase in strength and conditioning you mentioned, James, is that specifically because of different types of training you've been doing as part of your rehab, or have you changed your overall approach to your to your training in general? We'll say. I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. I think again, before I was injured, sometimes you don't focus on the kind of micro details because you're all around in a decent kind of um, condition and. And you kind of neglect certain other little things, but where I've had to kind of start completely from scratch again because I was smashed a bit. I, there, there's no bits that I could miss. I've had to go step by step and make sure everything's strong. So I've, I've probably built up a, a lot more solid foundation um, now. So for me, um, I mean, I still get pain and all the rest of it, but as long as my body holds up. Um, in my mind, there's no reason why I come back and actually run faster than I was before because I know I'm a lot stronger. I'm doing stuff in the gym that I wasn't doing before. Um, the tough challenge is kind of translating it, transferring it over to the track and um, being able to convert it to running speed. So. And what's it like? What's it like when you see, I've seen you commentating, I've seen you on TV, I've seen you on BBC giving interviews. What, what's it like when you see your team, you know, guys that you know well? Yeah, mates, maybe not so much, depends. That, that do do well, you know, and you're like, ah, you know, that's my spot, that's my place. I'm as fast, I'm faster. You know, does, that probably gives you further incentive and, and more, more drive to, I'm just going to go down to this gym and, and smash it today and wait till you see me out on the track. Does that give you more fuel or do you even need that? Yeah, yeah kind of. I, I, I don't think I really need it. I think now for me it's more kind of um, proving to myself um, what I'm capable of and proving to people that don't believe that I'll be able to be back on the track. I think, again, with those guys that are running and running decent times and fast times, I think um, me beating them will just be a byproduct of what I believe I can do anyway. I mean, sometimes I do, I can't sit there and go, oh, if I were injured, I'll be beating him, but we don't know. Uh, we don't know what kind of the outcome will be. Um, but I do know I'm capable of beating most of these guys. In your mindset, are you still injured? If someone asks you and they don't know you, do you say you're injured or do you say, I'm training, I'm getting ready to compete? I say, I say I'm training. I mean, um, That's good. To be honest, I mean, most athletes, uh, most professional athletes, you don't go through, when you're uninjured, you don't go through kind of training or your career without any nibbles anyway. I'm used to having um, slight nibbles before the, the accident. So, I mean, for me, I'm just like, right, I've still got nibbles, it's just a, a little bit more amplified. But I'm not, I don't look at myself now and say, see myself as injured. I'm training and I'm able to do some bits in the track, on the track and in the gym. So, nah. Perfect. Um, we have a couple of questions here for you, James, if that's all right. That's, uh, we've, we've come up with that we're planning on putting to most people just in terms of high performance. So uh, to, to put you on the spot and see how you go. Um, if I was to say the word kind of high performance and high performance culture to you, what, what does that mean to you or what do you associate with that term? It's a lifestyle. I mean, everything. If you're a high-performance athlete, then you know, it doesn't just it doesn't just a gear and evolve around your your training. It's, it's got to be your whole lifestyle and your approach to it every day. I mean, if you're a professional athlete, you don't shut off when you leave the track. Um, 
your mind and your focus still has to be on your task. Even when you're sitting in your house, you don't want to sit in the same position too long. You want to eat the right foods. You want to get um, a prime amount of sleep. You want to be hydrated 24-7. You don't want to make wrong decisions and start partying. Um, so yeah, high performance doesn't just kind of apply to those few hours that you've done on the track. Um, real high performance is your whole life is kind of geared towards one goal. Yeah, no, I, lo- I love that, that it doesn't shut off when you leave the track. Um, second one for you. Uh, obviously, your perspective will have changed a good bit on this in terms of what you've gone through since 2017. But if, if you've ever underperformed at an event, and this can be, say, pre-2017 and post, if we take that as a milestone, um, if you've ever underperformed, how do you kind of get yourself back in terms of mindset and focus for your next events? What do you do? You know, you said you stumble out of a blocks, and it, it's like, ah, I stumble out of the blocks. How do you get back from that? You just have to, you have to recognize where you messed up, um, number one. Um, and then you just have to kind of park it off. You have to recognize where you messed up, see where you can kind of change things and then park it. There's no point dwelling on bad performance because you can't change the past. Um, and it's only just going to kind of stress you out or hinder you going forward. Well, what, so, I, yeah, what I've learned about track, having met you, is... Um, there's no room for error. I'm coming from basketball and rugby where you can miss a shot, you can, you can have, throw up an air ball, you can turn the ball over, you can recover and you can still have a good game. But if you are 100 meter, a lot of people watching it, you've got a certain amount of people in the box and you stumble, well, well that's your race. Or if you slip, that's your race. And it, it, there's, it, it's, it's that, it's black and white. There's no gray. There seems to be a lot of gray in a lot of sports, but in yours, there's no room for error. When the lights are on and you're at the box, it's showtime, you know, and you turn into savage mode, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, I mean, if you look back on my 2016 season, it was pretty much, I mean, no athlete can have a full season, it's impossible, but every race was just solid. I mean, I was running 10 1, 10 11, 10 0, mm. 10 13, 9 96. It was just bam, 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 and I was like, we're out. Shape of my life went to Rio, and I knew I was in the shape of my life there, and I knew I was capable of running nine nine, maybe nine nine low, nine nine mid. Um, and I had Johan Blake next to me in the heat, and I knew he was—he's not the old, the old Blake that we know. Mm, yeah. Um, so I was like, right, I can actually take it, take it bite out of you, here, mate, because you're on a wild well, is a yeah. Anyway. So, gun went, and yeah, um, I missed. I think it was my second step. I overstrided a little bit, I was off balance, stumbled, and my first 10, 15 meters, I was basically trying to stay on my feet. Then I had to pop up, and when you're in that sort of field, um, at that level, just two, one stumble, threw my whole race off, and I ran 10.24 in the heat, my slowest time of the year, got knocked out in the Olympics. Whereas all year running 10 ones, easy. That would have, I think the heat got one in 10.14, which by Johan Blake, which, Mm. I ran from 30 in the national champs, so down looking at my position. So, like David said, it's the difference between winning and actually coming last or fifth or whatever it is is minuscule. You can make one one, one wrong move at that level or when your race is done. Yeah, it's a it's a brutal brutal business at that end of things, no doubt. Um, and then. Uh, Finally, then on that one, James, what would you say your kind of your big three is in life at the moment? Whether that's in your in your career, in your personal life, any any aspect of it, is there anything that 
you're putting particular focus on at the moment in the short term or long term thinking? Um, in terms of goals? It could be, it could be goal, it could be motto, something you, you abide to. I've got a tattoo in my arm that says something that means something, so every time I look at it, I think, what are your three things that you're like, you know, Connor, David, these are three things that make me me now going forward. Which I'm afraid it says victory loves preparation. So Sorry, say that once again for everyone. It says victory loves pre- preparation. Okay. So, I mean, in my mind, that's, that's one of the major things. I mean, if I'm prepared and I do everything I need to do, then things will come easy. Um, easier, should I say. Um, like that. The other thing is to not overthink as well. I mean, a lot of athletes kick themselves and overthink about everything. You gotta let stuff go, man. You gotta be, you gotta have short-term memory in this sport, otherwise you're just gonna beat yourself up 24/7. So mm-hmm. I'm a lot more carefree now. I mean, I do want to in training, but I don't get hung up on anything. I just move on to the next session. Um, and I'll say the first thing um, is just taking basically one training session at a time because. Like I mean, when, I, when I crashed originally, I was in a wheelchair. I lost 10 kilos or 70 kilos, and I couldn't even do one press up. And at that point, if I was thinking actually, right, long term, oh god, I want to be back on the track running whatever I want to run. I can't do a press up right now, I can't walk. Then I would have been defeated already. But it was all, all these small goals that's led me to where I am now. So I started off doing one press up, about four days later, I was able to do six. Another week later, I could do 15. I stayed at 15 for a bit and I made 25. So I was building on everything, just building, building, building slowly. And now I could, yeah, I mean, it's not press up competition, but I could knock out probably 78 press up now. Oh, you've, yeah. smoked, you've smoked me many times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had quite a few press up, press, press up games in the uh, gym. Yeah. You couldn't even fit into the shirt after, and I was still 40 reps behind you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, these are just, I mean, these are kind of the steps you have to take to get to them. People, people like to tend to kind of skip the middle part and just think about the end, but you're not going to get to the end if you don't fit in the middle part. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. I like that. James, we really appreciate that. Yeah, that was, well, is that the perfect way for us to start off this and just mm-hmm. give energy to, to all our listeners, really? Who better to learn from and, and look up to as a role model than James Allington? Any final words for you, Connor? No, brilliant, James. Yeah, lots to take away there. Um, yeah, you've been through been through the run or the the mill, as they say, in the last couple of years. But it's great to see you kind of pushing back, and I can't wait to see you back out in the track, smashing you, it. See you back in the track, bro. Oh, what are you doing? Cheers, James. Hey, cheers, bro. Legend, man. Cool. Thank you. See you, James. <laughs>